Welcome to this life-changing message from Danny Silk entitled, A Culture of Honor. If you would like information on how to obtain materials produced for Bethel Church, stay tuned following the message. I want to, you know, I want to just start with pointing out that um, our lives together in, in the body of Christ are intended to be eternal. They're intended to be eternal relationships. And we live in a, a culture that is so temporal in nature. And uh, the family structure, the family systems, the, the church hopping, the, the fractured this and the fractured that, and the broken relationships that are just so constantly devastating momentum, whether it's in... Uh, a marriage, a family, uh, a community, uh, a, a, a movement, a generation, broken covenants are, are this, this uh, target of our enemy. And our, and our enemy is, is em, empowered through our minimizing the value of covenant. And, and, and fighting to protect that. True. True. Covenant relationships are meant to last a lifetime. They are built into our lives as, um, as living stones. You know, we are built up together as these living stones that are connected, intended to create a dwelling place for the Lord. And what keeps happening is, is uh, we allow sometimes the the relationships to be, uh, to be dishonored, to literally be taken down to a, 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 a worldly perspective and, and, and never understanding really what is it that we are fighting for. Uh, I, I heard Dave Crone up here one time and said, he said, come and fight with me. And if we think of it in terms of preserving and protecting covenant relationships, then we begin to understand that fighting with me isn't fighting with me, fighting at me. It's fighting alongside of me towards a common goal together. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. That's what we're building. So this morning, what I really want to talk to you about is the culture of honor in this place, in this team, in this house, in, in, our, in, our, in our culture in, at Bethel. And for some of you, uh, some of this is, is, a, is a repeat because you've, you've been around and you've been, you've been in this culture. You've heard it taught. You've, you've watched it demonstrated. Uh, we have various vehicles that we are communicating this very important part of our culture in that we have, have learned to protect our relationships and our momentum through practicing honor. And I believe that... Heaven and the relationships of heaven are held together by honor. And when there is no honor, everyone is afraid. And when people are afraid, they want control. And so fear begets control in relationships. 1 John 4.18 tells us that 
Perfect love casts out the fear. Likewise, fear casts out the love. So we're going to have to decide what we are going to cultivate in our culture of government. What are we going to cultivate in the way we interact with one another? What are we going to manufacture as a house? What are we going to manufacture as a family? What are we going to manufacture as a government, as a church? What are authority relationships going to manufacture in the people that they lead? Because love casts out the fear, and fear casts out the love. And if the system that we use produces fear, then there, there is no place for love to take root and to rule and reign and manifest. You heard yesterday, Bill mentioned a phrase, a grace revival. And a grace revival is a very difficult thing to manage. I think Thomas Jefferson's the one that said, a free people are the most difficult to rule. And First John tells us that God is love, and Second Corinthians tells us that God is spirit. So where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of love is, there is freedom, which creates a, a great difficulty. If you don't have to do something towards me, what will motivate you? If I don't have the power to punish, cause suffering, motivate you from the outside, if I don't have the power to do that in our relationship, or I don't choose to manufacture that in our culture, what will motivate you towards me? What will motivate you to protect what's so important to me. When you are free to choose, what will you choose? The culture of honor is so vitally important because it comes right out of heaven. It comes right out of heaven and says, here you go. If you don't know how to protect freedom, you won't know how to create heaven on earth. If you don't know, if you don't understand how to create and protect freedom as a culture, you will not know how to bring heaven to earth and keep it there. It's pretty important because these categories, we have instruction in Scripture to bring honor. The obvious one is to honor Jesus, to honor parents, to honor kings and, and our wives and widows. And, and then the blast one's the one that gets me. Honor all people. Honor all people. Now, for many of us, we think that honor goes to those who deserve it. 
we think of the option of honor as you deserve the honor that I give you. I honor honorable people. I give honor because you got it coming. And then we say, well, I honor those who, the old-fashioned way, they earned it. That's who I give honor to. But you know what? The Bible says to honor all people. That includes those who don't deserve it. That includes those who didn't earn it. And here's why. Here's why it's so important that you and I honor all people. Because I will never let your character defects control me. I will never allow the way you conduct yourself to conduct me. And for a lot of us, we learned that respect is earned, honor is earned, trust is earned, and in a lot of cases, love is earned. I will give love to those who deserve it. I will give love, I will give respect to those who deserve it. I'm going to give to you these very important qualities of who I am. I will give them to you if you allow me to. If you earn it. If you deserve it. But you know what? I'm not going to allow how respectful you are to determine how respectful I am. I'm not going to allow how honorable you are to determine how honoring I am. I'm not going to de- let, allow to determine how much you love me determine how much I love. I'm not going to allow your untrustworthiness to prevent me from living open and honest and empowering towards you. Your character defects will never control these essential core issues of who I am. I don't care if you're a child or you're an elder in the church or you're Saddam Hussein. I don't care. Your presence will not remove my freedom to be who I am when I'm around you. We watch Jesus remain Jesus everywhere that he goes. Everywhere he goes, Jesus is on. He's on. Everywhere he goes. It doesn't matter if he's in the bar with the thieves and the harlots. It doesn't matter if Judas is skimming off the till. It doesn't matter if he's standing in front of Pilate who says, You better talk to me, boy. You know who I am? I got the power to set you free. <laughs> Dude. That's, that's, that's in my computer program version. Jesus isn't afraid. Jesus isn't afraid. Jesus isn't afraid. 
And so Jesus can be Jesus everywhere that he goes. And this culture of honor, this culture that protects my core values towards you, keeps me practicing a core value of covenant, doesn't allow you to introduce a device that would tempt me to lay down what's so vital for me to be me. And so honor begins to be something I cultivate everywhere that I go. And as a leader, it's all the more important because leaders are the ones that create culture. You're the ones who are responsible for the culture around you. These two men in my life, Bill and Chris, I, have, I grew up as a fatherless son. I grew up in a home without a father. And these two men teach me about passion and about strength. And they begin to be leaders in my life about honor. And I begin to take notes. I begin to learn how to be a father and a husband and a man from watching these men lead in strength, in honor, and passion. And a successful download, transformation into my life as a man comes from their commitment to lead in strength and passion and honor. I never met a man like this guy in my life. Bill Johnson, I never, I've never known another man who literally lives... What he says. Amen. It is, you know, it has confused me many times. <laughs> what are we doing? We are? And he and he is able to, to live from his core values. I've never known a man more committed to change and growing than Chris Valentin. I've never, I mean, the willingness to be confrontable and to be uh, challenged to grow, I learned from Chris. Because I'm as afraid as anybody else of being wrong, being ashamed, failing. And to walk through that, I've needed to draw from these men in my life And there have been, over the 26 plus years that I have known these guys, there have been many opportunities for me to allow dishonor to separate me from their influence on my life. The culture of honor comes through the head. We've actually had pastors who said to some of our team members I love the culture of honor at Bethel would you come and teach my people how to honor me better (laughs) and so as the team member gets up and begins to teach 
He begins to teach that honor is a mutual deal. And later, that pastor repents to his congregation for his paradigm of what honor has meant. And that is, you do a good job of serving me. Now, Revelations 4, we, we, we see the, the 24 elders who have bowed down and they're, they're crying out before the throne. And, and verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. And we, we sing songs of worship. We express worship to God. We, express, we, give, we give you glory, God. We give you honor, Lord. We give you power. Do you ever wonder where you got that? Do you ever wonder where you got the glory and the honor and the power to give to God? Isn't that a little bit like saying, Bill Gates, I give you money. Because... However much I got to give to him is piddly. Except that I understand that he first honored me. He first honored me. And in doing so, he changed something about me. He changed something about who I am in the relationship. He changed the relationship with me. And that's what honor does. Honor changes the relationship. It changes who you are in the relationship with me. And the greater always blesses the lesser with honor, through honor. And what it does is it begins to create a relationship that many of us don't know exists or we don't consistently experience because we don't cultivate it. Now, some of the definitions I'm going to run through today is to understand that honor literally, literally means to glory or to promote. It means to elevate another's status, to take someone from one level and raise them to another. It means to give prestige to other people, and it means, as we commonly understand honor, to give respect and admiration. Now, I want to go through these a little slower. And take right out of Acts, or Acts, out of Exodus, of the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and father. Give honor to your mother and father because this is going to add to your life in the land that the Lord has given to you. How many of you understand that this movement of revival is the land that the Lord has given to us? And so understanding that we honor and understand what honor is, is what gives us long life. In this land that the Lord has given to us. It's a stewardship paradigm. It is a wealth paradigm. It's something that wealthy people understand. Honor is something that the wealthy understand. I don't mean people with lots of money. I mean the wealthy. The wealthy. The wealthy. Understand honor. Understand the need to protect Vital connections and relationships. That word honor there is the word kabod. 
Where we get the word glory, weightiness. Honor your mother and father. Glory in. Promote your mother and father. But what if my mom and dad are jerks? What if my mom and dad are abusive? What if my mom and dad are strangers? What if my mom and dad hate me because I'm a believer? What if my mom and dad... Nonetheless, honor your mother and father. Larry Randolph best, best put it like this. He said, look for the glory God has deposited in the lives of your mother and father and lock onto that and drag it to the surface in your relationship with them. Look at the glory. Honor your mother and father by reaching in and seeing the deposits of heaven, the deposits of God in who they are. Because there are two ways that I know of to bring an inheritance into your life. One is through honor, and the other is through unforgiveness. You bring an inheritance from your parents, from past generations, by what connects you to them. And what you connect to is what you inherit. So honor is a way of connecting to the glory that God intended to deposit in your folks, in your, in your legacy, your lineage, and grab onto that and pull that into your generation. So honor is a currency of heaven, if you will. It is, an, it is a cultural thing that was intended to be flowing from the throne all the way into eternity. And that the, the inheritance that flows from generation to generation to generation and the momentum of that inheritance is built and established through honor. David and Jonathan have a very unique relationship. And we see that David's heart is knit to Jonathan's heart. And he loves Jonathan as he loves his own soul. And we get to verse 4. And they're in this scene where Jonathan takes off his robe, his bow, his sword, his belt. And he gives it to David. Now, some would say, well, that's because Jonathan knew that David was going to be the next king. And I don't know that that's what Jonathan knew. I don't know. But this I do know. That felt very honoring. To have the elements of royalty from my life given to you, the servant boy in my father's house, And what happens in that moment is your status in our relationship changes in a moment. And that's what honor does. Honor reaches into your life. And I transfer the status of my life to yours and elevate you. And that's what the Lord has done with us. The Lord's honor towards us. And this is what's so hard for so so many of us to get. Because we like that, I'm the servant boy. Can we just kind of keep that, uh, you bark out the commands, and I'll figure out which ones I'm going to obey. And I'll whine about how powerless I am in the relationship. 
And when things get ugly and bad and difficult, guess who I'm going to blame? The powerful one. But when we go, you are co-laborers with Christ. You are sons and daughters of the king. You are a part of the royal family. What has just happened is you became powerful and responsible in this relationship because your status has been elevated through the honor that the Lord has given to us. It, it, it creates a lot of freedom because when you're elevated to royalty status, when you're, when you're elevated to peer level with Jesus, there was a boatload of responsibility that came with that. And that's what freedom does. Freedom brings responsibility for me to be me, no matter who you are. For me to bring me to the, to the relationship, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how you treat me. And honor builds prestige. And it means simply what... High-ranking, successful people, the kind of awe, opinion, honor that high-ranking people can give. And we think of this prestige as being something that the wealthy do. Well, welcome to the wealthy land of heaven. Welcome to a limitless kingdom where you are a high-ranking, successful individual who has the power to give awe in a relationship. The power to give honor in a relationship. I, you know, I, years ago, when I first, well, Sherry and I first came to Bethel, um, I think it was the first it was the second opportunity I got to preach at Bethel. And it was a Sunday night and Bill was out of town. And uh, I decided that, you know what, I'm going to break on through to the other side and I'm going to show some movie clips as part of my sermon. And, uh, you know, if you've uh, been around me much at all, I, I do that all, quite often. I'll throw a movie clip in. I didn't do it today. But, uh, well... Well, it was moving. It was moving. But I didn't do... I often do it. Anyway, the point being that uh, this was, you know, in my early editing days, I, I learned a lot that night. <laughs> Sunday night, Bethel Church, I broadcast over the audience a clip from Matrix where there is... Uh, there were two cuss words in the Lord's name used in vain. And I am just stunned. Chris, Chris was doing what he's doing right now. He's just looking in his laptop. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. It started off with, I said, I have a couple movie clips. And a woman jumps up in the second row and says, I ain't staying for this. She didn't even see him. She gathers her children like I'm taking my clothes off or something. And she starts, and she, and she comes over to Chris, you know, who's sitting right there, and she's like whispering in his ear while I'm still introducing what I'm going to talk about. Like, 
You think I get a clue? No. The Lord was trying to warn me. Danny, abandoned. Call an audible. No. No siree. I'm plowing ahead, baby. I got a plan. And uh, so I, I, uh, I was the topic of the board meeting the next week. And the next week, one of the board members tells me, hey, guess what we talked about this week? Am I still employed? Do I have a job? And um, Bill comes back and, and uh, that week, and he says, uh, I'm going to be gone again this week. Would you preach again Sunday night? That is honor. And that built in me, it clicked up a couple notches in me, that this is a safe place. And a high-ranking individual in my life has, has the power to protect me from myself. Let alone the enemy. The enemy didn't have to say much at all. Over here with a stick. <laughs> An honor. Honor coming from someone esteemed in my life protects me and, and moves me to protect him. This culture is held together by these qualities of, of, of promotion and having our status increased amongst each other, with each other. Having prestige that, that, that I, will, I, will, I will call out honor to protect you and Great respect and admiration flows back and forth. Do we have conflict? Oh, baby, do we know how to do confrontation and conflict around here. Which means more honor required. Because, you know what, there's some powerful movers and shakers in this team. And people with some strong opinions. And there's some, there's some, there's some pulling in... I love you. (laughs) That goes on back and forth because there's freedom, there's safety, and there's a difference of opinion. And so honor is what holds this whole thing together. If by now you haven't figured out we are not systematic geniuses at this point, Or a management guru. So what protects what happens here very much is honor. Is that, you know what, it doesn't... Our, dif- our difficulty, our, our disagreement, our challenge, our different priorities, whatever it might be that's causing so much tension, 
will not disintegrate my honor, my choice of honor of you in our, in our team. And our entire team, our entire culture is fighting to protect these relationships. Respect and admiration. Admiration literally is a, a way of communicating the wonder that I have towards you. I am searching for what's wonderful in you. I don't mean like, I was wondering about you. I mean, I am looking about the wonder. I, am, I, I constantly am, am in awe and wonder about this stuff about you. About your unique and beautiful creation in this place, in this family, in this team, in this culture. And we can keep coming back to that. Um, we watch Bill over and over and over and over and over point out the wonder about in, in individuals. And we're like going, but that's better than half empty. And he goes, yeah, but I'm not even looking at that. I'm looking at what's so wonderful. What, what about them are we going to fight to protect? What about them are we going to fight to preserve? What about, what about them are we going to fight to build and promote? What in them are we willing to die for? They're like, you know, it is no fun to talk to you about problems. <laughs> because we get reframed to this point of honor in our relationships. Yeah, but they're just one of those people. They're the one of these people. What if we could... Wouldn't be hard at all. And the culture of honor says, you're elevated in your status as a result of your relationship with me. So there are no expendables. There are none that we look at with the attitude of disposable. And that creates an environment of safety. That creates an environment of freedom. And that perspective of leadership protects a community of freedom. All right? So, honor is about the wonder. It literally is. And elevating each other in the status. I'm looking for the, the deposits of glory in you. This is the working definition that I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to launch from here. Because what we're doing in this house, what we're doing in, in, as leaders in this room... Is, is replicating a generation that has been trusted with the, with the wealth of heaven to be carried on and transferred to the next generation. And they are instructed 
literally as peers, as those who've been elevated. The children, the young people, are not a bunch of goofballs that we have to tell what to do because they can't think for themselves. Through honor, they are literally elevated in their status as people who are capable and competent and they are called to steward what we're pouring our lives out for. And so this can't be a generation of inexperienced, untrustworthy people that need to be controlled. It has to be a group of people that we trust with this precious cargo. We had a, a situation, and, and, and I'm, I, we have, I have literally a hundred of these stories I could tell, but the one I'm going to tell, and Bill asked me to share this, is, is, a, is a, a foundation piece to this culture. This particular story I'm going to share with you is something that happened a couple years ago, which is something we don't do very often. We don't tell stories from a couple years ago. We usually have like, you know what happened today? <laughs> But I'm, I'm pulling back from the archives here to share with you a story that, that happened in our school of ministry. We had two ministry students that were, you know, worship leader, you know, in the first year they were, you know, participants, you know, in a, in a, a glorious way. And they're, they're planning to get married and they graduate from the first year of Bethel's School of Supernatural Ministry. They go through the summer. They apply for second year. They're accepted into second year. And at one point, Banning comes to me, and he says, we have a problem. I said, okay. He says, I have two students who have confessed to me that they had sex over the summer. I said, oh, okay, well, what are you going to do? He goes, well, that wouldn't be such a problem, except she's pregnant. I said, ah. A pregnant second year Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry student roaming the halls, unwed mother in this supernatural school of ministry. That's going to be something we're going to have to explain. <laughs> so I said, all right, well, let's get, let's get them together. Let's talk about it. So Banning and Jill and these two students come in. and, and uh, Now, here's the deal. that These two students come into my office, who I've never met these students. I don't know them. They don't know me, really. I've maybe taught in the school or something, but they don't know me. And they come into my office, and they are absolutely ashamed. They are absolutely ashamed of what they have done, and they know the predicament that they have placed us in. And they have come to sit before us, fully expecting us to punish them. For their mistakes. Fully expecting and ready to receive the judgment for their sin. That's the posture that they've entered this scene with. 
And so we begin the process by asking Josh. Josh. Actually, I said, Josh, thank you for coming in here and trusting us with this situation. Thank you very much. You don't know me. You don't know what's going to happen. And I thank you for the vulnerability that you have just offered. Now, let me ask you this, Josh. What's the problem? And he looks at Banning. He says, didn't Banning talk to you? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Banning talked to me. He goes, you want me to say it? I said, if you know what it is, yes, I want to know what the problem is. He goes, well, we had sex this summer. A bunch of times. I said, oh, now I thought you stopped doing that. Because we totally did. We totally did. Like a month before we came to school. I said, okay, so that problem. That problem. Yeah. What's the problem? Well, she's pregnant. I said, all right. Is there, is there anything that we can do about that? No. I said, all right. So what is the problem? I don't understand the question. I said, Josh, if we were going to spend time today solving a problem, what would that problem be? I don't know. I said, Josh, have you repented? Yeah. Of what? I don't know. I said, all right, now, Josh, that's the problem. I see what you're saying, yeah. So we need to find a problem here to solve. And that's what this is about, Josh. He's like, okay. Okay, I said, Josh, let me ask you some more questions. And please notice, I am asking questions. I'm not telling him what I think. I'm not telling him what to think. I'm not trying to convince him of my amazing perspective. I am searching for the glory and the wisdom and the capability that is in this young man. And it needs to be raised to the surface so he can remember who he is in this house. Because he forgot who he is. He thinks He's one of those people that needs to be kicked to the curb. And he is prepared to be kicked to the curb. And so questions cause him and the Holy Spirit to run around and search for wisdom and knowledge. Josh, did you not know it was a bad idea to sleep with your girlfriend? I totally knew that. So what happened? I don't know. You don't know or you're not thinking about it. Well, it's probably because we were like staying up till two in the morning watching movies at her house. You think? 
Don't leave me. You know what? I tried to leave. I tried to leave over and over. I would just like, we'd be in this situation. I'd say, you know what? We can't be doing this. We shouldn't be here. We, you know what? Last night we really went, we went too far. We, we should, I'm leaving. I'm going. And she would get so mad at me. She would get so mad at me. She'd call me names. She would say I was rejecting her. And it was just hell for a week. So I just stayed there. I'm not saying that I didn't like it or I wasn't part of it or something. I totally was, but it just wasn't worth fighting with her about it. All right. So, Josh, what you're telling me is this. You're telling me that you were more concerned about her being mad at you than you were concerned about you protecting her from you. Yeah. So, so when angry, so when you're around angry people, it's easy for you to let them control who you are. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. So, all it takes for you to abandon your character and your integrity is for someone to be upset with you. Yeah. So, Josh, is that a problem? <laughs> yeah. So, so if we could build a solution to that problem, would it be worth the meeting that we're having? Totally. So fabulous, and let's work on that. Robin, what's the problem? I don't know. You don't know, or you're afraid to think about it? And we eventually get down to where Robin doesn't trust people. And it's a, it's a stronghold in her life where she does not let people speak into her life. It has wreaked havoc with her. She is fearful and isolated and often stubborn and defensive. And we get down to the bottom. That's the problem. So we have two completely different problems than what either one of them expected to be, be beheaded over. And now we have two people who have their problem in their hand. They're going, you, you. It used to be, you. And now they're becoming powerful. And I ask them the next question. Who has been affected by this problem in your life? And now you can see them searching the faces of the people they love who don't yet know that Robin's pregnant. And this is where the tears begin to flow. Here we go. Here are the people who love us and believe in us. Here are the people who have honored us. These are the precious relationships we want to protect. Their parents, siblings, their leaders in the school of ministry, their leaders back at home. Uh, One of their churches takes up a monthly offering and sends it to the school of ministry to pay for their tuition. Uh, One of them has a newly saved brother who thinks that, that... that they, they hung the moon and they are a representation of Jesus on the earth to them. 
And they are weeping as they began to list the names of people who've been affected by this problem that's going on in their life. And we just camped there for a little while. We just let the, the godly sorrow that leads us to repentance have its work and bear its fruit. While they were just sobbing. And no amount of threat or punishment can create what is happening inside of them right now. And that is a beautiful thing that's happening and it all happened from asking questions. And then the third part is what are you going to do? You made a pretty good sized mess here. What are you going to do to clean it up? Another question. And they began to go through their list of names. And when I asked who was affected, or when I, yeah, who's been affected by this problem, they had a list of people who were important to them, and I had a list of people who were important to me that they didn't get to. So I said, what about the rest of the second-year students? How are they going to be affected by this? What about the first-year students that are coming in that will see you as leaders in this community? How will they be affected by this problem? And they both agreed to include them in their list of what are we going to do about it. And they go through the list, and they begin to come up with solutions. We're going to call these people. We're going to write letters. We're going to inform them of what's going on. We're going to repent and ask them to forgive us. And they go through the list. I said, how much time do you need? They said, a week. We want a week to be able to contact our family and clean this mess up. And I said, all right. I said, we'll work on the school of ministry when you get back. And they went to Bill and Chris and and the other staff members. and, And they had it all done in a week. Now, these are people who are ready to be kicked out of the school. These are people who have failed and deserve to be punished. These are people who are ashamed of who they've become. Who are now, have reached into their glory, pulled out the glory as sons and daughters of the king, and are powerful to do something about this thing that has been messing with them for a really long time. And they're doing something about it because all they can do is clean up their mess. That's all they can do. They can't change the past. But I can go to you who I love and I can say, please forgive me. Please restore the standard of our relationship. Please allow me to manifest my love towards you and protect this relationship. Please let me clean up this mess. They came back to school. They weren't gone for the whole time, but they they came back, and there was a time where second year had a break, had a moment where they they could do something about it. And they called me up, and I went up there, and, and, uh, I gathered the class together, and I said, all right, something's about to happen in here that maybe none of you have ever gone through before. I just want all of you to remember that each and every one of you in this room 
is a low-life scumbag without Jesus in your life. I want you to start there. Josh and Robin, please come here. They're going to share some things with you that... If any of you have formed any judgments about them, I want you to come and talk to me, all right? I want you to come and talk to me before I ever hear it coming from somebody else had heard you. And Josh gets up there and he says, I discovered a problem in my life I didn't know, I didn't realize I had. It's been causing a lot of problems for me. I'm working on that. I have more hope now than I've ever had solving this problem. But as it stands, here's what's going on. And he explains the whole thing. And Robin stands there with them, and she does the same thing. And I have Brandon, one of the, the students that is kind of a fatherly figure in that room. He's a young man, but he's still a, very much a leader in there. And I asked, I said, Brandon, would you come and just pray for them and forgive them for, as a class and, uh, and just restore? You know, restore the standard. So he gets up, and when he does, 47 students get up with him, and they all come, and they all surround Josh and Robin. And they begin to pray and and forgive, and they begin to thank them for not leaving the school. They begin to thank them for trusting them with this part of their life. They begin to pray and prophesy over them. They begin to pray over the baby and prophesy over the baby and, and, and accept the baby into the community. And they begin to uh, just weep together. And it is this amazing time. I was, myself was stunned by the, the response. And yet at the same time, I knew. I know these people. And so someone comes over from first year and says, hey, first year has time. Right now, there's a, there's a spot. You want to do this now? And I said, do you guys want to do this now? And they said, well, we might as well. We're in it up to our eyeballs now. I said, all right, let's go. So Josh and Robin head over to first year, and 48 second-year students go with them. And they come into first year. Now, first year is 100 strangers to Josh and Robin. Never met them in their life. And as they enter the room, the second-year students line the walls like a bunch of angels. As Josh and Robin come up and they stand before a hundred strangers. And they begin to repent. And Kevin Drury was in there. And uh, I knew he was a pastor and I, that's all I knew of him really. And I said, Kevin, would you come up here and... And just pray over these two and just bless them and forgive them. And so he gets up and as he comes, a hundred first-year students stand up and come and gather around these two. And Kevin begins to pray over them and prophesy over them. And he begins to break the curse of shame off of this baby. And illegitimacy off of this baby. And he begins to... He begins to sever the enemy's legal right to access to destroy this child. And a hundred strangers embrace and, and love on Josh and Robin that day. And months later, Josh and Robin get married and they give birth to Anya, little Anya. And from the day Anya is born, she's in trouble. 
She's in trouble because she has some strange blood or problem or something. I don't know what it is. But she is, she is dying day by day. Her light is going out day by day. And, and they're living at a children's hospital, a specialty hospital in Sacramento, I think it was. And, and report after report is the baby's dying, the baby's dying. And we prayed and we, we, we gathered together and at different times with different reports and we prayed. And they said, uh, they, Robin calls and says, they said she's not going to live another day. She's going to die. And we remembered. <laughs> we re- remembered that the enemy has no right to this baby. And we remembered the honor and the protection that we placed on this family. And we as a team, I remember praying in a staff meeting. And just declaring what Kevin had prayed. And the next day, Robin calls and she says, they don't know what happened, but they're calling Anya the Lazarus baby. Because Anya is about three and a half years old now. She's about, she's, she's amazing. She's healthy, strong, beautiful. And I think, I think it was Robin. She was at the, the third year uh, ceremony, celebration, whatever it was, reunion that we had and uh, she was one of the speakers and she got up and she said, you know, I just want to thank the leaders in this, in this house because you managed a situation in our life that gave us life and you'll never know how that has affected us. You know, and you're right, you just do it every day Hundreds of times you do that. And what you do is you build strength in other people. You transfer strength from your life and your culture to everybody that comes into yours. That's inheritance. That is momentum. That is building relationships that we will die for. That is, that is a vital part of this community, of this culture. And, uh, you know, this is a, this is, this environment is, uh, is very confrontational environment. So please don't think for a minute that, uh, yeah, in case you recognize those people from Norway, I just, that was one of the slides. I, um, I want to just, point out that uh, we are drawing greatness to the surface and the people around us. We are, we are helping people to believe in themselves how much God believes in them by believing in them. 
We are a representation of our Father to the people that we lead. It's one thing to hear Chris talk about, you got to know how much God believes in you, but when your leadership doesn't, when your mother and father don't, it's easy for your enemy to come along and say, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be easily destroyed. You're alone. You're mine. You failed. And so honor is often tested in failure. Because it's easy to give honor to people who perform well. Honor is often most tested in disagreement, in failure, in struggle. So put your hand on your heart. Lord, I pray that we receive an honoring perspective today. Increase. Increase our understanding with revelation, God. Release a spirit of revelation with understanding and open the eyes of our hearts and let us understand how you've honored us and how freedom actually works. And Lord, forgive us for anything that we've done that has been dishonoring and thank you for helping us to change. And now, Lord, we pray that we create freedom everywhere we lead and we fight to protect it so that you can trust us with heaven in the cultures and the environments where we lead for your glory in Jesus name Amen. if you would like to order this product or any other product available from Bethel Church and Sound Wisdom visit our online store at www.ibethel.org we would love to hear how this message has impacted your life and relationships please contact us at soundwisdom at ibethel.org or call us at 530-246-6000.